When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. If you tell the cops, who do you think they'll believe? Their colleague or an immigrant? This is one or three or four times in my life that I truly believed I was going to die. There were a few exchanges and he said that he was going to get me one day. I didn't think much of it. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in everyone, and thanks for joining me. Today we've got a jam-packed show featuring five true experiences and a frightening listener doppelganger story via voicemail that goes right along with one of our stories. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show with an experience from Reddit user Mimolina and we see just how terrifying an abuse of power can be. Bringing this experience to life is Tanya E.B. I'm going to abstain from giving too much information because this stalker scares the shit out of me. Thankfully, he doesn't read English, so I hope he'll never find this post. Years ago, I moved to follow my boyfriend and to do a PhD in his country. I won't name the place, but it's an across-the-ocean type of deal. At first, I was very excited. It was a wonderful adventure. Until it wasn't. It's hard to describe the complexity of what I felt. I felt alone, misunderstood, far from my family and friends. And even though my boyfriend is wonderful, I really felt the weight of not finding any human connection. This could explain why I acted so weird and disconnected from reality in the following story. I'm also a very naive woman, and I like to see the best in people around me. This has been problematic more than a few times, but this story is maybe the worst example of where this candid attitude got me. My boyfriend and I are into BDSM. We do it alone, on our own, and do not participate in events or anything. I do have an account on a known BDSM website, I go there to find new ideas for our sessions, and I sometimes, but rarely, post pictures. No face, no tattoos, and I often wear wigs. I get contacted by interested doms once in a while, even though I clearly state I'm not free. Usually they send copy-paste messages, so I just ignore them. Once in a while, though, I'd get a more personal message and make an effort to answer that I am not interested 
and that I'm in a relationship. This is how my discussion with Nick started. He didn't approach me with a, will you be my sub, but with curiosity about how I got into BDSM, stating he was quite new to the domain and was interested in understanding the way of life. So I gladly explained. Explanations turned into discussions. He told me he was in the police and that he investigated drug cartels. He also told me he was married and that he had kids. Interestingly, we had a lot of hobbies in common. A lot. I won't go into details about those hobbies, but they're kind of specific. Feeling very lonely, combined with the fact that I felt I could trust him because he was married and had kids, I accepted his invitation to start texting on WhatsApp. I want to be clear. My boyfriend knew about this from day one. Plus, we had been talking on this website for almost three months before switching to WhatsApp. He was very friendly and interested by my day-to-day life. He'd share pictures of his kids and of investigations he was working on. This went on for another three months. Then, one day, he told me he had to interview a suspect close to the town where I lived and asked if we could meet for coffee. I agreed, and we met for the first time. Before anyone panics, my boyfriend was hiking with friends for a few weeks. I texted him, but he didn't have signal. Plus, we have a very trusting relationship. He has a lot of girlfriends, and back in my country, I hung out with a lot of boys. This isn't weird for us. Back to this first encounter. It felt as if we had known each other for years. We had a great time from the beginning, and I was so happy I'd found a friend far from my country. He knew I loved reading thrillers and enjoyed murder investigation videos, so he showed me his gear. Handcuffs, sampling kits for small investigations, other restraints, etc. It didn't feel weird at the moment, but afterwards, I kind of understood this could have been a way for him to show off what he could do. However, as the night went on, after grabbing drinks from a nearby bar, he forced me against a wall and kissed me. I was shocked, really, and barely managed to push him off me. I told him it was inappropriate, that he was married and that I was in a relationship. He was really sorry and felt ashamed. He told me he felt there was something between us and I was like, yeah, it's called friendship. I was disappointed and we parted ways. Days later, after he apologized over and over again, he called me to meet up. He wanted to take me for a ride in his hometown. It's a pretty place. He's got a bike and he wants me to enjoy the scenery in this country I barely know. I agree. It's his hometown. He works there. He lives there with his wife and kids. Surely I'll be safe. In short, I wasn't. Again, he kissed me, tried to push for more, in the middle of a park. A park where he brought his children to play on weekends. So I told him to bring me back to the bus station so I could leave. He did, and then proceeded to tell me a story about how he had recently got a drug seller out of hiding by modifying text messages sent by his girlfriend. He basically made him believe she was cheating on him to get him to confront her and then arrested him. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's possible. Due to what had just happened, what I heard was, I can make your boyfriend believe you're cheating on him. And my boyfriend was still on his hike by that time. We did talk once every few days, and I told him everything from the moment he had some cell signal. Meanwhile, I was confronting Nick about that. His behavior was really strange as he went from... I'm sorry, I think I'm in love with you, too. If you tell the cops, who do you think they'll believe? Their colleague or an immigrant? I got scared and tried to cool things down with him. I just felt he could go crazy at any moment. He clearly wasn't used to girls refusing him. 
At that point, I thought it would be safer for me and my boyfriend to maintain contact with Nick, albeit with less enthusiasm than before. But after understanding how obsessed he was, I blocked him from all platforms where I knew he had an account. But he found me. He sent me my address, asking if I loved living in that particular part of town. I never gave him my address. Guess he could pull some strings at the station to get my info. He even came to visit me at my job. I was so scared, I just played it as if everything was okay. I told him my boyfriend wanted me to cut ties with him because he was angry about what had happened, which was true, but I also wanted him out of my life. I didn't know how he would react if I told him, however. Nick insisted that I loved him, that I could be his mistress, that my boyfriend didn't have to know me. He was obsessed by me and he didn't hide it anymore. He told me how he wanted to F me, how we'd be a great couple, how he'd father our kids. He went from, I'll be husband material, to serial rapist in a matter of seconds. I refused again and again, blocking him, changing my accounts, etc. I got scared when I got calls from unknown numbers. I was terrified when I saw anyone slowing down on a motorcycle close to my apartment. I was wary of going outside and going to my job. The quarantine was welcomed for me, really, and I didn't get any news from him for months. And then I broke my cell phone. I knew I could transfer all my numbers from one phone to the other, but I didn't know it would unblock previously blocked numbers. Days later, I got a message from him. He told me he had divorced his wife, that he still loved me, that he wanted to marry me. He apologized for making me believe I was only mistress material and that I was worth so much more. He said my boyfriend didn't love me, that I deserved better, that he was waiting for me. When he saw that I saw his message, he said, finally, I thought you'd never unblock me. Does this mean he had been sending this message over and over again in hopes I'd finally see it? That narcissistic man used all the manipulation tactics he knew. He had told me before we met in person how he had learned those skills to toy with criminals, to have them tell the truth and admit to crimes. Fortunately, I had dated manipulative men before and knew the signs. Basically, he wasn't used to not getting what he wanted. He was attractive, rich, interesting, and he knew that. I blocked him again, and we moved a few months later. I just hope he doesn't get his hand on this information. I believe Nick's last move was trying to hack into my Instagram as I got a notification that someone from his hometown had tried to connect to my account. So, obsessed cop who chased me for over a year, let's never meet again. Can't get enough disturbed? We've got you covered on Patreon with monthly bonus episodes, ad-free listening, shout-outs, and more. Visit disturbedpodcast.com slash support. You'll be glad you did. Next up, we hear from Reddit user Nomas for Moi. And we see that those closest to us can sometimes be our worst nightmare. Bringing you this experience is Matt Bradford. So, back when I was growing up, I had a bunch of unsavory shit happen to me and ended up being placed in a foster home. (laughs) Well, technically. 
I mean, it was basically a holding cell for kids to live until they found a real home. Because I was a herd and untrusting kid at that point, I cycled through my fair share of families. I stayed with an obese single man who I don't remember much about, but I do remember very bad vibes while staying at his house. My case manager must have thought so too because I went to another family shortly after. That is when I met THE family, and more specifically the SOB that this story is about. This wouldn't be my last home, and I didn't live there long at all, so things have gotten foggy over the years. But I was probably between 8 to 10 years old, and it was a full house, six of us in total. My foster mother and father, two brothers, and a sister. The only person I did not like straight out of the gate was my sister. You know that feeling where you just know when someone wants you off the earth? Well, for me, it feels especially raw when it seems unjustified. Like, I know I was technically a foreign invader, a cancer cell in their home. Guess what? I was a mouthy brat too and I gave her attitude right back. So, it goes without saying, she and I never got along. And my brothers, on the other hand, I loved them. We did everything together. Which is what made what they did to me so confusing. So, so far, the only slightly unusual thing about this family was they had an intercom system in their house. Mostly, our mother would use it to tell us to go to sleep after hours. A few months go by and summer rolls around. They had been pumping me up about swimming in the pool in the backyard for a while. The only thing was, because I didn't have a lot of normalcy, didn't even remotely know how to swim and was terrified of open water. On the day it happened, my brother and I were all out by the pool. They also had a slide they used for the pool and went straight into the deep end. Looking back, that entire afternoon looked so set up, like the family planned this or something, I swear. They kept pressuring me to try the slide and that they would save me if I couldn't swim to the sides. I really wanted to be like them, free to do the things without worrying about consequences. I really believe they wouldn't let me drown. We were family, right? Okay, great. So I slide down the pool. Seconds later, I start to drown. I don't know which way is up and I'm fighting for air, something to grab, anything. Well, it seemed like it went on for way too long and then suddenly, my adoptive father has me barely above the water, holding me up with one hand. I mean, if at gunpoint I had to describe his face, I'd say it was a demonic mix of lust and contempt. It was really blurry and happened fast, but faces like that are hard to forget. I could let you drown right now, boy. That's what he said to me. Those exact words. I mean, I don't quite recall what he referred to me as before that point, but I know it wasn't boy. I was crying and gasping for air and he just held me there, holding me inches above the water. For what? I still don't get why. This is one of three or four times in my life that I truly believed I was going to die. Could be worse, I guess. Anyways, eventually he walked over to the edge of the pool and let me go. Right then, I was so terrified of him. I didn't know what to do. I just laid there and didn't want to be near anyone else in that house. I remember one of the strangest things about the experience was the aftermath. We went to a Mexican restaurant that night, and though they acted like nothing happened, I was confused, angry, and scared. Maybe it wasn't an unusual thing to them, or he did it to teach me a lesson or something. Well, anyways, fuck that and fuck that family. 
soon after I updated my case manager on the fuckery and I was out of that house within days. Look, all you people with both parents, try to make things right with them if they aren't. I can always appreciate your family because I don't have any, and I suck at life. Anyways, I just wanted to share some of my life with you all. Thanks for listening. Do you have your own terrifying encounter? Did something unexplained happen to you? Let us know and get featured on the podcast. Email my story at disturbedpodcast.com. So I get asked all the time about what podcasts I'm recommending right now, and I really only speak to the ones that I personally love binging. And the one that I'm devouring right now is The Box of Oddities. And this show is just fantastic. I'm telling you, it's so fun and unique. Kat and Jethro are a married couple hosting this Webby award-winning podcast. And honestly, I can see why they've won an award. The show itself explores a world that's strange, bizarre, and they bring their own brand of humor and chemistry to topics you aren't going to hear about every day. Medical oddities to abandoned funeral homes and even unexplained paranormal phenomena. One of the episodes I just listened to talked about DNA solving a 1,000-year-old mystery about a Viking warrior. And then they followed it up with a man who woke up on an embalming table in a morgue. How terrifying would that be? Now what they do that makes the show great is they each pick a true topic without consulting each other. Sometimes it's bizarre, shocking, or just plain weird, but you can bet with Kat and Jethro it's always going to be entertaining. And here's how you know what they're doing is working. Over 12 million downloads since they launched in 2018. They've even had sold out live shows at some of the top comedy clubs in America. So if you have that strange, unusual, or even morbid curiosity, then get into the box. Your freak family is waiting for you there. Listen to The Box of Oddities in your favorite podcast app or find them online at theboxofoddities.com. Our next experience comes to us from Reddit user ShayBaby2424. And we're forced to examine the question, did she meet a Craigslist killer? Voicing this experience is Melissa Medina. When I was 19, I was looking for a room to rent in the city I was moving to for college. It was about an hour away from my family. I wasn't having much luck, and my mom started helping me look for a place. She found an ad on Craigslist for a room for $300 in a house, everything included. The homeowner was a man, and he rented the additional rooms upstairs to other women while he lived in the finished basement. The ad stated he rarely ever saw the other roommates because he had a kitchen and his own entrance downstairs, and that he preferred women because he had issues with male roommates in the past, partying and causing damage. We decided to take a look since it was the cheapest that we could find in the area. My mom and I went to the house to view it. Decent house, decent neighborhood. He opened the door and was very welcoming. He was middle-aged and... The kitchen and living room were furnished nicely and clean. My mom loves to talk and get to know people, so they were engaged in conversation while I stood there quietly and observed the place. He then said he would show me my room. We head towards the staircase to go up, as I thought, since he said on the phone my room was upstairs with the other roommates, but he opens another door and we follow. 
He takes us down to the basement and opens a door to a very small room. No closet and no windows. He proceeds to say this is my room and I will be sharing the bathroom and the hallway with him. And his bedroom did not have a door on it. I was definitely thinking, absolutely not, this is weird. But they were so deep in conversation that I couldn't interject. He then leads us to the upstairs and shows us the other rooms, which the doors were open, and says they are currently rented. He then starts telling us elaborate stories about the other women. Not very nice stories, describing drinking problems. My mom was listening intently, but I took the time to investigate further. I looked in all three rooms and the bathrooms. There was furniture, but not a single item in there that looked like it belonged to a woman. No clothes or anything, only men's clothes in one of the closets. He had no problem with me creeping around his tenants' rooms without their permission. I then heard him tell my mom that he has some of his stuff in their closets, but they don't mind. And I'm just like, um, why the hell would a tenant pay you for you to use their space as storage? I was feeling really uncomfortable and started moving them back downstairs as they talked. My mom had mentioned when we arrived that her and my dad were going on vacation the next week, but I couldn't go because I had to work. He brought it up again and that I should come by the next week and have dinner with him and the roomies to see if we would all get along. I said sure, and we left. As we got in the car, I told my mom I would definitely not be living there. She was dumbfounded. I had to explain to her, not only did he lie about the room I would be in, that I was not supposed to be in the basement with him as well as share a bathroom with him, and he didn't even have a damn door. But also, did she not notice how no one else even lived there? She still didn't get it and thought I was just being paranoid and thought he was nice and it was a cheap deal. I had to explain it to my stepdad and get him to tell her, by no means would I be living there. I tried to report the post, but by the time we got home that day, he removed it. I think he planned on murdering me at dinner or abducting me and holding me hostage in that basement room that had no way to escape. I hope that guy hits a tree with his car one day. Edit. Some details have been coming back to me since I've been answering all your questions. This happened in 2011, so it's been quite a while. When he took us upstairs, there was a wide landing that was surrounded by the rooms. As soon as we go up there, he motions toward one of the rooms and started this long, intricate story about the woman who lived in there and talking about her alcoholism and a crazy ex. He was very exaggerated in how he talked with a lot of gestures. My mom stood there listening to him. I don't know if it was sheer distraction or she didn't want to be rude not listening, but either way... I don't recall her ever having a good look around those rooms. I went and looked. All doors were open, had neatly made beds with dark wood bed frames, bureaus with mirrors and nightstands. There were sliding mirror closets, and they were empty, except for one had men's clothes hanging pushed against one corner. Nothing was on the nightstands other than a lamp, and nothing on the bureaus. I went into the bathrooms, and there was nothing on the vanity in them other than hand soap. I looked in the showers too, but nothing other than bar soap. The bedroom on the left had an empty suitcase laying open on the middle of the bed. This was one of the rooms with the empty closet. After seeing all this, I came back onto the landing and started slowly heading down the stairs. 
They were still talking and absentmindedly followed me down to the living room. That's when he mentioned dinner and we left shortly after. I think that's why my mom didn't notice a lot and didn't believe me at first. She didn't take more than a quick glance upstairs and when we were in the basement, he was just as talkative. A commenter on here who works with law enforcement pointed out this was probably a sex trafficking situation. The bedroom in the basement is where a victim is kept, drugged, and abused until broken and then trafficked. I honestly think this is more plausible with the situation, as well as my city is actually a hotspot for that. I am so grateful we got out of there, and I hope my experience could help someone one day notice the details and get out of the situation safely. Stay safe and blessed, people. Are you loving the show? Let us know with a positive rating and review. In return, we'll help you hide the body. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Something is introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Our next experience is short and sweet, but packs a punch. It comes to us from Reddit user Brandywine, and we discover how close she may have been to being his next victim. Bringing this experience to life is Rhiannon Mauschel, 
So about three years ago, when I was 28, I worked as a guard in a large factory, I won't say the name, in Fremont, California. I worked as a security guard, but mostly checked in visitors and helped people who forgot their badge by issuing a temporary one. There was this one dude who worked in the factory that didn't have a badge, so his manager would always sign him in as a guest. This was against our policy because clearly he wasn't onboarded, meaning he didn't go through the full background check process. We felt since his manager was coming in to get him a visitor's pass every morning, we had nothing to worry about, and plus, we saw this dude every day. One day, he asked for my number, and I didn't really feel comfortable giving it to him. After badgering me for a while, he wrote his number down on a napkin and asked me to text him. I didn't text him. A week or two goes by and he walks out for lunch break and tells me to text him right now. I knew he was going to come back and I had to let him in since he didn't have a badge, so I felt the pressure and texted him. I don't remember everything he said verbatim, but he was trying to get me to go on a date with him and I let him know I don't date people from work. There were a few exchanges and he said that he was going to get me one day. I didn't think much of it. Still have the text in my old phone, but the screen is broken. One day, my supervisor texts in our group chat if we know where the guy is. He's always sat in the break room next to a pillar watching something on his propped up phone. He was found there and escorted to the front of the building. We didn't know what was going on, but later we found out that a bunch of US Marshals hopped out of some SUVs with guns pointed at him, arrested him, and that was that. He apparently was raping and murdering women. I was sick to my stomach. He was using a fake name and identity the whole time, which is obviously why he never went through onboarding. I always wondered what he was watching on that phone of his. Looking back, it was clear he was hiding it by that pillar. Are you terrified yet? You will be. And finally, our title story coming to us from Reddit user Tombo6969. And we learn all about the doppelganger. Voicing this experience is Tom Aglio. For the sake of context, I'll start by saying that when I was in my late teens, I used to live in a small town just outside Hamburg, not far from my girlfriend at the time. We used to spend a lot of time together and go out for lots of walks, as neither of us had cars. Every few days, I would walk her to her Farschule, driving school just up the road. Her classes always started pretty late into the evening, and it was winter in Germany, so the days were very short and it got dark early. I used to hate when she would walk there alone. Furthermore, after dropping her off at her classes, I always tried to be there to walk her home also. I would simply depart after dropping her off and return after the duration of her class. This is where shit gets weird. One particular evening, I dropped her off as normal, only about a 20-minute walk, traversing a quiet wooded park and a few short side streets to get there. I left to go back home for about an hour or so, then departed early so that I could catch her before she left. For some reason, I arrived especially early this time, and I had to wait outside for about like 20 minutes. It was very dark, and I was simply sitting at the bus stop across the street from the school. I waited and waited and waited, and she just wasn't exiting the doors to the school. I sat outside for probably 35 minutes just waiting there. 
It should also be noted that I didn't have my phone on me at the time. I thought it would be a quick and easy excursion, so I didn't bring it. Clearly a mistake. At this point, I of course started to ponder. Has she already left? I must have missed her. She should be finished by now, etc. After about 40 minutes went by, I started contemplating heading back the way I came to see if she was walking alone. But I didn't want to risk it just in case she hadn't actually left. So I remained there, awaiting nervously. This is the really weird part. So I'm sitting there, tapping my foot, and I see two people with flashlights walking up the street from the opposite direction, apparently looking for someone. I was like, WTF? I got up and approached to see what was going on. The two people searching were my girlfriend, who I was waiting for, and her mother. As soon as they saw me approaching, they said, There you are. We've been looking all over for you. Where the hell have you been and what the hell were you doing back there? I said, What do you mean? I've been here for 40 minutes waiting for you to leave school. Where did you two just come from? What's going on? I finished early today and started walking back alone. I wasn't able to contact you because I had no phone, but I saw you following me. Why are you back here now? This isn't funny. I was dumbfounded. What are you talking about? I've been right here for 45 minutes straight. Now, this is what my girlfriend saw from her perspective. After leaving slightly early from her class that day, she began walking astutely back home after noticing I hadn't arrived to pick her up yet, assuming she would bump into me on the way. She wasn't worried about walking alone and she confidently began heading home. She spotted me from about 500 meters away and witnessed me crossing the street, which I'd actually done while walking towards the school. She expected me to approach her and greet her, but it seems I didn't notice her across the street and we walked right by one another. This was the last time she actually saw me before meeting me again at the bus stop. Regrettably, I used to be quite the prankster. I was always teasing and messing with her, so she assumed that's what I was doing then. She thought I was intentionally ignoring her so that I would sneak around and scare her or something. I don't know. Either way, she didn't call my name because she thought I was being a dick. The creepy part, so after that initial interaction, I shortly thereafter arrived at the bus stop and proceeded to wait. She, on the other hand, had a very eventful walk. After she saw me initially, she kept walking towards home, expecting me to jump scare her or whatever, and her expectations, to her, seemed to be fulfilled. She began hearing footsteps behind her about 10 meters away. She knew it was me just fucking with her. She then looked back and what she saw was me following her in my exact outfit walking exactly how I walked, just following her and staring at the ground. According to her, it was my exact hair, face, color, and even physical demeanor. To her, it was beyond the shadow of a doubt that it was me following her. So damn strange, the doppelganger said nothing, never looked up, and kept a consistent 10 meters behind her. He followed her for a few minutes down the road, just being creepy as fuck. She, of course, turned forward again and laughed at my supposed pathetic attempt to scare her, but after an amount of time, she started getting weirded out and wondering what the fuck I was doing. Shortly thereafter, the footsteps stopped and she lost me around a bend in the road. She looked back confused and even called my name to no avail. She shrugged and continued forward through the wooded park near her home. It was a very quiet, dark, and creepy park, but she powered through it. Quick reminder that this entire time I was actually sitting at the bus stop, about halfway through the small park she hears footsteps again. They were much faster and heavier. She turns around to once again see me sprinting towards her full tilt, baggy jeans, heavy sweater, just sprinting as fast as I could. She saw my eyes glaring into hers and like staring into her soul. At this point, she was startled. She didn't know what the fuck was happening and I was apparently booking it straight towards her. As the doppelganger got to about 10 meters away, he turned and ran down another pathway in the park, running towards a non-lit, pitch-dark section of the park, sprinting as fast as he could like, what the fuck? She watched as I sprinted into the darkness and faded from view. 
The immense confusion sparked some worry in her. She was almost home and thought maybe I was running around to meet her on the other side of the park or something. Also, she just wanted to get the hell out of that creepy-ass park. She really gave the doppelganger the benefit of the doubt that night, though. So she arrives home, asks her mother if I'd arrived, and sure enough, I never showed up. She tells her mom the whole story, and they begin to worry that something was wrong. They waited a few minutes, then decided to look around for me. When their attempts failed, they thought to look around near the driving school again, and that's where they found the real me at the bus stop. That's basically the whole story. It was extremely peculiar, and since that day about six years ago, I've been wondering what the hell it could mean. I've heard that doppelgangers are omens of death, but lately I've been thinking maybe it was some elaborate glitch or some kind of intersection of universes. What do you guys think? I hope you thought this was as interesting as I did. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Now, before we close out the show, we have a listener experience that ties right into our last story. And we have to ask the question, what's really going on out there? Trey, the floor is yours. My name is Trey. I was in the Army Reserve a few years ago. I've been out now for five or six years. And I was in a transportation company in Mobile, Alabama. And what we would do is just drive around all over the place. I drove a fuel truck at the time, and I had a girlfriend. She's an ex now, but she would come with me sometimes. She had a she had a girlfriend that lived in Mobile, and we would crash at her girlfriend's apartment, and I would get up and go to drills in the morning. Well, one day we were driving around in this great big convoy, we were way down near Biola Battery or somewhere. I mean, just in the middle of nowhere. And my girlfriend, Jamie, called, and she was freaking out. I mean, she was she was crying. She was screaming, and she was, you know, what's your problem? You're such an asshole, this and that. And I had no idea what she was talking about. I literally had no cell service or anything. I hadn't even talked to her all morning. And she finally cooled out. And uh, I was able to get it out of her what happened. She was saying, what's wrong with you? Why would you do this to me? How did you even do this? Da, 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 da. I said, Jamie, what happened? So she said uh, apparently her friend was at work. She was at her friend's apartment by herself. And someone knocked on the door, banged on the door. And that scared her anyways because her friend had this ex-boyfriend who was huge and he was very abusive and he was stalking her and she thought, oh God, this guy's coming and he's, he's going to be crazy. Anyway, she looked through the peephole and she saw me in my uniform, my ACUs, my army uniform. And she was wondering, first of all, why I would bang on the door like that. She said, I mean, it banged so hard it rattled the whole place and it, it scared her. It, you know, she jumped and she looked and she, she opened the door and she said, what are you doing? What's your problem? What's wrong with you? And she said that I looked crazy pissed off, like just, just mad, just this mean look on my face. She kept saying, Trey, what's going on? What's wrong with you? She says I wouldn't talk to her, that 
I didn't say a word to her, that I shoved her out of the way, physically shoved her, which I've never, ever done, ever, would never do, shoved her against the wall and just blew right past her and stormed down this hallway and went into her friend's bedroom. And the whole time, like, she got up off the floor and she's following me. What are you doing? What is your problem? She was so confused and so scared. And uh, I went into her friend's bedroom, slammed the door behind me. She said the door slammed so hard a picture fell off the wall. Well, she followed me into the bedroom, and she said as I was going, as she came into the bedroom, about that time she looked in the bedroom closet. It was this big walk-in closet. The walk-in closet door slammed. She saw the, the leg of an Army uniform go into the, saw me go into the closet and slam that door sounded like somebody was just punching the wall, just going crazy in there. And she heard noises all the way up until she got to the closet. She ripped open the closet door, and it was totally empty. And that's when she really, really freaked out. She was blowing my phone up. She finally got a hold of me. And she would not believe that I was in like a 100-something miles away. I was nowhere near Mobile at the time. She did not believe me until I got my buddy that I was in the truck with tell her we have been on the road this whole time. We've been on the interstate. We have not been in Mobile. We're not going to be back in Mobile till this evening. And that scared the shit out of both of us. I mean, that freaks me out to this day. I have, I have no idea what it was about. I have no clue. Nothing ever happened since, but that's my story. That's my army doppelganger story. And I think about it all the time, and it still creeps me out. So thank you for letting me tell my story. I appreciate it. All right. Bye. Thanks for the story, Trey. And I can only imagine how confusing and terrifying that must have been. And it really just goes to show that there's much more to this reality than we can understand. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and your support. If you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. And how about a shout out to all of our newest supporters? Allison Sampley, Jazaray C, Courtney, Kelly Meyer, Jay, Kristen Lee, and Danielle Darby. Thanks guys so much for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.